Most of you got this. I don't know. There's still some out in the lobby. If you have not, there is a sheet there that says love one another passages. You'll need that for tonight's sermon. Uh, It'll be a whole lot easier for you to have those passages there and for you to be able to look at uh, what we're going to look at here this evening. So if you haven't gotten that, I'll let you escape out the lobby and come back. We kind of have a unique time in history where we can actually see what we look like. For the last 175 years, we've had the ability to have photography, which uh, kind of, well, at times we don't feel does us justice when we see some of the pictures that happen, but uh, it at least gives us a representation of what we look like. Uh, And uh, we have that, and so we've had that privilege, but Uh, Before that, people really didn't have a great understanding of what they looked like. They might be able to see the reflection in water. There were some, they did have mirrors, but they were not the most fantastic things in the world to try and see through and the like. And uh, they also, when they wanted to get a representation of you, they would oftentimes, uh, you'd get a person to come in and paint you. And if you were uh, known for being uh, wealthy and rich, they painted you differently than what you actually looked like. You go, why? Because they wanted you to pay them again. Uh, it's the whole starving artist thing. You don't want to ruin business by having a bad portrait. Uh, and so you had kings and queens that, uh, and dukes and earls and all these individuals that would have paintings pictured of or painted of them. And now we look at some of the actual written descriptions of them. It doesn't even fit who it is, but you know the, the, the painting was made. I think about one English queen that uh, was a beauty when she was younger, and as she got older, there were some things that happened. She went through sickness, uh, I think it was smallpox and the like, and and she used to love to have uh, paintings done of her and uh, that and have mirrors around, but by the time she was older, she had uh, lost teeth and lost hair and and all of that, and she had gotten to the point where she goes, uh, told everyone, no more mirrors at all in the castle. Uh, I don't want them at all, and I only want portraits of myself uh, when I was younger. Uh, And it kind of made her feel better that she didn't have to see the reflection of herself and uh, see what she truly was like. We say all that, and we come to uh, our scriptures, and we've talked in the last couple weeks about the idea of reflecting on certain things, being able to see certain things. Uh, Last uh, Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that Here, Jacob runs into a guy by the name of Laban, and Laban is just like him. Uh, Laban is a scoundrel, a cheat, manipulative, just like Jacob had been uh, most of his life to that point, and uh, Jacob uh, gets to see his reflection in somebody else and gets to see that and, and have that as a possibility. We even talked about last week that sometimes God's gracious that he doesn't get us to the point where he has to put us in front of somebody else for us to see what we're like. We can go to the scripture and see our reflection in the word of God. James chapter 1 talks about this, that uh, we ought to be more than just hearers of the word, but doers also of the word. And, And if we don't do the word after we've heard it, we're like a person who beholds their face in a natural glass, a mirror type thing. Uh, and uh, sees what's there, and then straightway forgets what manner of person they were. They just kind of ignore it and go on their way and do nothing about the problems that need to change uh, in the way they look. 
But in the Scripture, there is a, another phrase that you find that is uh, given throughout the New Testament that is designed for us to realize there's something else that ought to be reflecting. There ought to be something going on in the church body, and it's something that is seen in a, a phrase that uh, is uh, set up different ways, but it's in the phrase, one another. You look through your New Testament, you were to mark this out, you'd find this uh, phrase, one another. Uh, it's one word in the Greek. Uh, in ours, it translates by several different words uh, of one another or to one another or one another. Uh, but the Greek word is used about a hundred times. And in, 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 you, you read through the, the New Testament, you get to the epistles, and it seems to be a favorite word of the apostles that are writing there. Uh, because they use it not just in merely in the sense like it's used in the Gospels where it says they said to one another. Okay, well, they're talking to one another back and forth and this. But when you get to the epistles, you start off in Romans and just go right on through to the book of Jude. You find this statement where the apostles are using this phrase to describe the believers that they are be, to be doing certain things to one another and to stop doing certain things to one another. Uh, the pronoun that's behind it is called a reciprocal pronoun. We know if something's reciprocal, you expect it to come back to you. It's, it's kind of reflective, but you expect something to keep coming back and reflecting back to you. And so it is as you think about the church and the, the church itself. There are things that ought to be regularly amongst the body of believers as far as the individuals in that church. There ought to be things that are reflecting back to one another. That certain things that are just kind of keep going around and that there are certain things that don't keep going around. In the church body when you look at the statement of the idea of one another one made this statement in paul's uh, ethics as he goes through and explains what it is to be a christian this word represents the significant fact that christians must not live life in isolation but are called to interact with one another there's a responsibility to interact to not interact with fellow believers is to live in defiance of the clear teaching of Scripture. I mean, this type of phrase, one another, kind of throws the whole idea out at the window of the monastic type of idea that you get away from everyone and everything and you just work with yourself and fellowship with God. No, there's an expectation that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that there is going to be an interaction that takes place. I mean, we might call it this way, that you're having fellowship with other people, friendship with other people, a relationship with other people uh, in the church, that this is going on. Uh, and you say, well, does that, uh, what is reflected throughout the rest of the teaching of the epistles? And the answer is absolutely. Because when you look at the descriptions of the church, what it's supposed to be like, uh, there is the idea that there is interaction that's taking place. A connection, as we might put it. I mean, illustrations of the church. Uh, sometimes the church is described as a family. Uh, you find in 1 John 3, 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Romans 8 makes very clear we're part uh, that we're the sons and the children of God and, and this, that there is a family relationship that ought to be going on in a church. 
You say, well, you know, family relationships, you know, it's not the easiest thing. But you still have to interact with one another. You still have to, to work with one another. There are certain things that you're responsible for. Another illustration of the church is just simply that it's a building. Everything's important, and you move one of those parts of a building, a building block of some kind or that, and you start having things fall apart. You need the other parts of the building. Ephesians 2, 19-22, the statement is made, Now therefore you are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens, we don't throw that term in there, with the saints in the household of God, and you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you're builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. I mean, this is kind of, as you read this, a weird building because you don't want your building to be alive. You know, you don't, you know, if, there's the, if your building's alive, you need to get a, an exterminator out and find out what's in it uh that makes it alive but you don't want your your house to be alive but here's this is a unique building it's one made up of living stones as first peter talks about it lively stones uh and you're fitly joined together and what you're doing is you're growing the testimony of jesus christ together as a group the the, the whole uh church itself is like a massive building that people can look at like people do today when they come in and uh visit places and cities they look at the architecture and they go well let's look at these grand buildings that are built here and so it is it ought to be that way with the church that there's seeing all these different things that are there that are important together you take any part of it out and it starts to crumble the church is a building it's, a, it's going to be interacting together the church we might describe it this way is a team uh, paul uses a term he likes this term uh, agonize in the greek uh, it's the idea of uh, he uses it oftentimes in athletics and challenging the, the church at Philippi, he says this, only let your conversation or your lifestyle, the way you live, be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or whether I be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye may stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together, agonizing together, moving forward as you would expect a team to be together for the faith of the gospel. Sometimes the church, and this is probably the most apt illustration of what we're going to talk about when we talk about one another, is that the church is described as a body. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, it's a passage talking about uh, people and their giftings. What, what's their spiritual gift? What has God given to them through the Spirit uh, to minister to the church? And, and Paul uses uh, this statement about the gifts that people get in the church for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body whether we be jews or gentiles whether we be bond or free and have been made all to drink of one spirit for the body is not one member but many and you think about this, your body functions, and we could, you know, get Doc up here and talk about, you know, all the things that if you're missing one part of the body or you're missing an organ or it's not functioning right, everything else just kind of falls apart. 
One small thing uh, in the body uh, can ruin the organization of the body. You need every part. It's not that one member reigns supreme and that you have to have that member uh, without anything else. And the answer is, no, you have to have all the members working together and functioning in the body. And the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, this is what the church is like. You've got many members that are part of one body. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is once again talking about the gifts in the church that are supposed to be used in the church towards one another. And he said this, For I say this through the grace that's given to me, that every man that is among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly according as God has given to every member the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or the same responsibility... So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members, and here's that phrase, one of another. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us minister on uh, our ministering, or he that teacheth on teacheth, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Here these individuals have been gifted, and he's just simply saying, in the body, what you do is you use your gifts. And what's going to happen is that other people are going to use their gifts and bless you, back in the reverse direction. Ephesians chapter 4, you have the Apostle Paul once again stating, here's some more gifts that the, the Lord gave to the church. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting, the maturing. We'll put it this way. The maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of, the Christ, or body of Christ, the building up, till we all come into the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in, and this is going to be important for us tonight, the building up of itself in love. When you talk about a body, uh, and he starts talking about the joints, just a simple uh, thing like that, and you have certain connection points you have to have, and certain things that are working in that joint to move the joint and to hold the joint together. You've got the ligaments and the tendons, and all of these things, they have to work together for the body to be able to move to be able to work. So it is for each one of us, we have the ability to affect the way the church is. It's part of our opportunity that God gives us as we do what we're supposed to be doing. We're ministering to others in relationship, in fellowship. We're, well, created to help one another. Now, we ended at that verse in Ephesians where it says that we're together to build up the church in love. And when you go through your Bible, and if you were to mark through the times where you see one another, one another, one another, you will oftentimes see it attached to the word that we have at the top of that sheet you got. And it's this, that we're to love one another. I mean, we're going to have some of the one another's where it's just one verse that talks about a one another, and we're going to spend that time and that one verse talking about what that means as we go through this series. 
But this one another theme is something that whenever you look at uh, different individuals and throughout, you find it in First Peter, you find it in John's writings, you find it in Paul's writings. They're all saying this, that we have a responsibility to love one another. Now, for us to understand what love is, you just simply uh, describe it not the way the world does, because the way the world defines love is that it's very selfish. It's what can I get? What do I get out of this relationship? This is how people view love in our world today. But you have to remember that love is a term that describes something that's selfless and sacrificial. Okay, it's not about self first. It's about others first. Uh, And so when this term is used, even in the use of the term love, it's already indicating it's not about me. It's about somebody else. It's about another person. It's about another thing. It's about something else other than myself. It's not a term that you can look at in the Scripture. The term especially is usually the the, the phrase agape uh, in the Greek. It's this uh, term for selflessness, and it was a term that the church took up to describe uh, different things when it comes to the love of God and others. And so what we're going to go through this evening is just simply say, okay, what does the Scripture have to say about us being sacrificial and selfless towards one another? What, what does it mean? Why do I have to do this? The Bible's got a lot to say about this idea of loving one another. And as you look at your Scripture, and you've got to the page there, first of all, love is first displayed by God. Uh, if you go and look on your sheet in 1 John chapter 4, it's a lengthy thing on the back page there, but if you start off in verse number 7, verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Why are we supposed to love? Well, it's something that if you're a believer, you've already experienced. I mean, God so loved the world. And you have this passage here, but it reminds us of some of the wording of John 3.16, written by the same man. He said this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When it comes to us and our life being changed, it was God that actually made the first move. In fact, he had been planning for this for generations before creation. He had already decided that his son was going to come into this world. His son, who was God and and soon became God in human flesh, loved people and was willing to give up his life for us. You say, that's selfless. That is. We like our life. You know, that's why we we try and protect ourselves uh, from different things, because we don't want to die. We love life. But when Jesus came into this world, he came for the purpose knowing his life was going to be taken. 
You go, why? Because he knew that was the very thing that people needed. The sacrifice that they needed that they couldn't do themselves. They couldn't take care of themselves. And Jesus came into this world and died. And so for us, as we think about this, God, we don't love God. We didn't love him first. No, God loved us first. Uh, We may respond as we understand the truths of salvation and accept that and take it in. But as you see at the end there in verse number 11, uh, that we ought to, because God loved us, we ought to love one another. I mean, we start loving one another because it's not uh, just some command that God has pulled out of the air and said, okay, you need to do this. No, what God is commanding individuals to do is something he's already done himself. Something he's already displayed himself in giving his son into this world. And so as you think through this idea of loving one another, realize this, that love is first displayed by God. And then you also see this, that love displays that God is in us. You got that uh, passage uh, that you were in. You go to verse number 12, just underneath that paragraph, and it says this, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, what's the statement? God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See, if there's not any sort of, and I I put this in here, and we'll talk about this at the very end, there ought to be, as part of our life, a natural love for other believers. You go, why? Why? Because in us, God is dwelling. The Spirit of God dwells in us. That's what happens when we get saved. The Spirit comes to dwell in us. And it ought to be that we see other individuals that have the Spirit of God in their life, and there's already an affinity. There's already a pull going, that person knows God just like I do. And if there's not that sign that, okay, I like being around other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, people who would claim that they know Jesus as Savior, if I don't like that, it may very well be the indicator that God's not dwelling in you. Now, why, why do people not like coming to church? Okay, there could be a variety of reasons, but you would say the main reason in our world today is they don't have God in their life. They don't want him in their life. They want him far, far away. But if you see the fact that you're going, I, I can't get away from being around other believers. There's just kind of this thing that is working in me where God is showing his love through me. Uh, then you've got a sign that God is dwelling in you. You do have him. But if there's no love for believers, there's no desire to be with them, then that might be an indicator there's something wrong. And I I was thinking about this in relation to a few years ago as we went through COVID. And, you know, I just once again go, please uh, don't go there again as you start seeing some of the government things going on again. 
But for a few weeks there in April and May of uh, 2020, we didn't get together. Most people didn't get together. And for some people, they were excited about the fact that they never had to leave home. They could just watch somebody else speak. They could do it in there with their coffee and their pajamas and, and watch this and be okay with that. Uh, and then the doors opened back up to church and they didn't come back. And many churches are like, what's going on here? Well, I would indicate this. Somebody's missing out on the fact that church is not just about someone getting up and saying stuff. Do you realize that the, the preacher, the pastor, is only one element of God's gifting to the church? There's many different individuals in the church, each church, that has gifts to, to minister to different people. And the thing that most people missed out on, if they were truly a follower of Jesus Christ, is the fact that I'm not fellowshipping with other believers. I don't get to talk to them. I don't get to be with them. I don't get to, to be around them. I mean, we couldn't pick up the phone, but it's not quite the same. But to be with each other, there is a desire of believers that's in them because God's in them that just simply says this, I want to be with other believers. I like that. I, I prefer that more than anything else. There ought to be a sense of uh, in your life that you would rather not or rather be uh, with believers than any other group. There's just this thing that you go, ah, oh, these are my people. These are the ones that are followers of God. As I have God in my heart, they are following Him just as I am. See, if you are a believer, you will see a love, a desire to be with other believers, to minister to them, and that is an indicator that God is in you. But you also see, because we're sinful individuals, that to love one another is a command. When we got saved and we became followers of Jesus Christ, it didn't mean that we became the perfect individuals on earth. We still have a sin nature. And sometimes our sin nature is getting the best of us, and we listen to it, and we go along with it, and we have to be reminded by commands in the Scripture that there's something that we ought to be doing. If you look at uh, your passages of Scripture there, you have multiple passages. You're going to go back to the front page here. Uh, this is one of the first passages there at the top where this one another type of uh, idea is given out. In fact, five times in the upper room uh, from John 13 to John uh, 15, you have Jesus talking about the relationship of one another, one another, one another, one another, just before he dies. But you see in verse 31 of uh, John chapter 13, it's the top passage that's there, it says this, Therefore, when he was gone out, you go who? Judas. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him, him and himself and straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. As I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you. Okay. And what's this new commandment? That ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
See, this is a command. This is a new commandment. You go, well, this sounds like stuff we still had in the Old Testament. You know, how is this a new commandment to love one another? Well, it's going to be new in its nature, okay? It's not a new commandment, okay, this is the first time you've ever heard it. It's going to be new in nature. You go, why? Because Jesus is going to display his love on the cross in just 24 hours. And what you ought to then do as believers is to show that love that Jesus has given to you. And so he says, this is the commandment I'm giving to you, that you love one another, that you give of yourself to others around you, that this is your life. You see in 1 John 3, and this would be on the back page uh, there, First full passage there in the back. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I mean, now he's there, the Lord is simply saying, Can you sometimes, you know, just say, I love you, and it's a word? It's not really what you mean. He says, Okay, what what you need to do is go beyond that and show in both deed and in truth that you do love. Verse 19, hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us, then we have we confidence towards God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment. Okay, you, you want to know what the commandment is that God wants you to follow right now while uh, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father? It's this, that you should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. John's writing this probably some 30 to 40 years after he heard that uh, in the upper room. But he just simply says this, here's the commandment. You ought to believe in God, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you love one another you display jesus christ in your life i mean it's there that once again this is a command it's not something that we have the the ability to ignore it's something that is an affecting of our will realize this love is not just merely emotion love is a a really a, a part of our will we determine to love we choose to love And so it is, the Lord, He's just simply saying, you need to choose this. This ought to be what comes natural to you. Now that you are a new believer, it should be the, well, we say natural, the supernatural thing that goes on. But you look back on the front page, there's another passage that just reminds us that these are part of the commandments of the Old Testament. It's not really a new commandment that the Lord's given here. Middle of the page there, it's Romans 13, 8 through 10. It starts off verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And you say, well, how is that fulfilling the law? Well, here you go. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this statement, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. 
we, really the Lord wasn't giving a new commandment here because when you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at that second half of the Ten Commandments, the last six of the, the Ten Commandments, it's our relationship with other people. And if you really, in the first four verses, you love God because He's done so much for you. It's then going to reflect in those that are in the image of God, the ones that are walking around on earth and, and are, have one, are the beings that God has created, He set His affection on, that we ought to show love towards those individuals. That's, that's our opportunity to visibly show what we believe. It's a little harder when you say, I love God you know, you can't see him. You're not in his presence. Uh, you, you are uh, still at a distance from him. One day we'll be standing in his presence directly. But back in the Old Testament, it was this. Those commandments were not just merely there to go, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It was that those commandments were just simply saying, what should I be doing? I ought to be showing selflessness, sacrifice with other individuals. I'm not stealing from them even though it might help me out in the temporary thing i'm not lying to them you know why am i lying because i'm selfish i'm selfish or excuse me selfish i'm self-centered i want myself to look better that's why we lie and what he simply says a person who's loving his neighbor you get some hints at the ten commandments what that looks like you're not doing certain things but it is a command uh, because it's not necessarily easy. And, and realize this as you look around the room and then you even look at the reflection of yourself. Sometimes people are not easy to love. We're not lovable. We're not, you know, warm and fuzzy individuals and personalities at times as far as uh, when it comes to who we are. So the Lord says, you're supposed to do this. And the response may be, well, it's awful hard with some individuals. I don't know if I can do this. And it's at that point where you have to remind yourself, and I want you to go back. We could look at another passage, but on the back page, nope, excuse me, front page, bottom, sorry. Front page, very bottom. There's a passage from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, it says this, "...seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently." Now, you might have missed this. You say, well, what makes it so that I can love? It's the Spirit. Okay, our natural tendency in our flesh, be selfish. Self-first. But when the Spirit comes in, there's a change. A change of priorities, the change in what you're able to do. In fact, as you think through this, you might want to write next to that passage in 1 Peter 1, 22-25, is the passage in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And it says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is, and it starts with this, love. And then it talks about joy, peace, long-suffering. There are some that say, when you look at that and it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, that love is the fruit. That those next eight things are a display of what love is like in its different ways. That the fruit of the Spirit is actually love itself. 
Romans chapter 5 seems to indicate that this is the chief thing that the Holy Spirit gives to us is a selflessness that God has poured out the Spirit into our lives. He's poured the love that is, or poured the Spirit out into our lives. Thus, we can love like we should be able to. And it may be that you look and go, it's hard. You know, I'm tired. I don't want to minister to that person. I don't want to be nice to them. I don't have time for it. I don't feel like that. And you go, it's really not going well here, Lord, because I don't feel like this. But Lord, I know that you've just said this in your scripture, that it's not me that's doing it. It's you. I I, I need the help to be gracious to that individual over there or be willing to say, what can I do to help you? It doesn't come naturally. It's something that the Spirit works into us, and we have to depend on God for His help sometimes to love one another. You look at the Scripture and you also find this, that love is not only just a fruit of the Spirit, it's this, that love to one another is something to pray for and to praise others for. Uh, You have uh, there on the front page two passages or three passages from uh, the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians. We went over this uh, book a a few months ago, this letter, and as we described this uh, church, it was a church that was a connecting church in a collapsing culture. They connected with one another. But you kind of get an understanding of why they're like this because they seem to be carrying out the love of one another idea in their congregation. Uh, you see in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, here's Paul's prayer in the middle of the letter. He's not done. He's still got two more chapters after this. But he's got this prayer that he makes in the middle. Verse 11, Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one to another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. And this is a prayer that he has right in the middle of this. And he just says, your prayer ought to be, my prayer is for you, but your prayer for each other ought to be that the love of God abounds in your lives more and more. That it's displayed more often, that it's seen more clearly, that it grows, that you're less of self and more of others. That this increases. This is a legitimate prayer request. This is something the Apostle Paul was praying for these individuals. They're already showing it. You're like, well, that's enough. And he's going, no, may it increase. May we see this love, selflessness go back and forth amongst the believers. You go down another passage, uh, and it's the Second Thessalonians passage. It starts in verse number 3. The Apostle Paul talking about his prayer life, and he says this, We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity, okay, and understand this is the word love. It's why it's translated charity here, I don't know. Uh, it's the same Greek word that uh, we've been talking about. The love of every one of you all toward each one other, or towards uh, each other, aboundeth. 
And you go, what's he saying there? I'm thanking you that I'm seeing this abound more and more. In the first letter, that's the first Thessalonians letter. He's saying, I'm praying that there's an increase. And by the time he's writing the second letter, he's going, it's obvious that there are things going on, that the love is abounding even more and more. It's seen, it's displayed. In fact, as the, the church of Thessalonians is talked about, they have, uh, their church is resounding. I mean, it's like a trumpet call. They're, they're doing things and people are seeing this. The sacrifice that individuals have for one another. Uh, it's something to pray for and it's something to praise for. Praise God for, yes, look at the work that you're doing in the life of that individual that they are abounding in the work of the Lord towards others. And so love is to one another is something to pray for in ourselves and in others, but also when you see it going on, you just go, thank you, Lord, for that, because it's your working, the Spirit at work behind the scenes. But you say, why do we love one another? You go back to the first page, and John chapter 13, that first uh, time where Jesus is bringing up this idea of loving one another, the last verse there, verse 35, why do we love one another? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Understand this, that love to one another is a testimony to the world. You know, I'm reading more and more about uh, why people are joining different groups and, uh, and different things in society and why they take up certain causes. And there is a sense right now of individuals in the society as it fractures, they're looking for something to belong to, to be a part of. And you say they take up with some very bad groups well, those groups make them sense that they belong, that they're a part of this, that they care for them. And what ought to happen is that churches ought to be places in our society as it gets worse and worse that people flock to because they know that is a place because they can see it amongst the people who are already there that these individuals care about one another that they love one another that there's a concern and you see it displayed not just that they're concerned that there is a reaching out a working uh, towards other individuals uh, to help them that ought to be what happens where people go that is something where they love one another truly why is that the case it's not because those people are really nice people no when you come into church, it's filled with sinners. I mean, that's what people forget, that the church is not filled with sanctified, holy people that have no sin. But they're saved sinners. They've understood the love of Jesus Christ. They know what they've been given to them. And so they're willing to display that to other individuals and it is a regular thing and it's something that should not be forced though we have to be reminded this is what we ought to be doing but outsiders should look at that and go that is a different group that's a different community that's a different body or a group that we've not seen before because they really do seem to 
love one another. I mean, this is what, as you read in Roman historians, this is what uh, they would even say about it, that uh, they could give testimony to the fact that as the church is being persecuted and they're going through bad times, they could at least say this, they really truly love one another. And for us as believers, where we go, should I be involved in a church and reflecting the gifts that God has given to me and do this selflessly, the giving of my time and my energy and my emotions and my attitudes towards the betterment of others within a congregation of believers? Is this really, really important that I do this? I mean, I'm already saved. Should I do this? Well, it's a testimony to the world they're able to see in individuals selflessness that they can't see in the Savior. They've not met Him yet. They may not know about the fact that Jesus came into this world to save sinners, but they see individuals that are selflessly giving to one another, and it serves as a testimony, and they can then, as an individual, see, okay, what's this group doing? Why are they doing this? It's because of a person by the name of Jesus who happened to be the Son of God, who loved them and gave Himself for them. And so for us, love is a testimony to the world. But I will say this in closing, you have two passages that you can just mark and look at, but 1 John 4, verse 20 and 21 there at the near the end of your your listing there it says this if a man say i love god and hate his brother we'll put this his brother or sister he's a liar for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen how can he love whom he hath not seen this is the commandment that we've had from him that he who loveth god loveth his brother also you know, if you've, I've gone through a whole message like this and you're going, oh, I don't like that. I don't want that. It may be just an indicator you've never experienced the love of God. I mean, you ought to, in a sense, as you look across a room like this and it's filled with individuals, you ought to be able to say, you know, I don't know that person as well as I should. Maybe I should figure out what's going on in their life a little bit more. Uh, what can I do for that person? Uh, I know they're going through some difficult times. I'm going to find out what's going on, if there's any way that I can help, or if it's just prayer that they need. You know, there's nothing I can give from a, an earthly side, but I can go to the throne of God and bring them and present them before God who can solve uh, the issues that they're going through. There ought to be that kind of feeling when you come in on a Sunday morning where you're not just merely coming in and going, what am I going to get out of this? You know, pastor was off this morning. Oh, that was horrible. And did you hear the note while we were singing on the piano and whatever? And, and did you, you know, and that's how a lot of people come to church and they forget about the fact that you're not here at church just merely uh, to just come in and exit again. That's ritual. That's religion. It's not a display of the fact that you have a relationship with the Son of God and you then go, I'm willing to relate to others and that you just come in and part of Sunday morning and part of Sunday night and part of Wednesday and other times is I get to be with other believers and I delight and joy in this because it gives me opportunity to minister to them and they minister to me. And we have opportunities to reflect Christ. I mean, the whole series as we look at this, as we go and look at these one another's, is just simply 
we have opportunities to reflect Christ back to other individuals. For them to see Him displayed in our lives. But it starts with this whole thing. Do I love? Am I selfless and sacrificing like the Savior? Is that my attitude in starting out before I start showing it in many different ways what I'm supposed to be doing to one another? So I challenge you this week, even uh, as you have time to, to go through and read. We didn't look at all the passages here for we love one another, but just look through them and just kind of go, okay, can I say this is describing me? Is this something that I uh, understand? Is this something I'm doing? Am I selfless like the Savior? Am I delighting in doing things for others? Or is there something wrong there? Well, Lord, uh, you've told me to do this. I need your help. <laughs> and then it's simply this, you ought to pray beyond that. Lord, who can I help? No, that, that, that sometimes we, we ignore and miss things because we aren't even looking. How can I show and display the love of Christ to somebody else? Lord, bring me across somebody that I can display that love to them, especially in the, the, the believers, uh, the body of believers here in the church. But even out in the community, you can do this. But a lot of this one another focus is just us in the church displaying this. It's kind of a greenhouse. We do it here and it becomes the, just the norm for us as we go out into the world. And we then reflect Christ for a world to see. So take a look at that. Love one another because it is a command of God, but it reflects who He is. It's the heart of God that He loves us and we ought to display that as followers of Him. Lord, we thank You that You loved us. We were unlovely, unkind, cruel, mean, hateful, and yet you were willing to send your son and sacrifice your son for sinners just like each one of us. Lord, for us as believers, may we reflect that selflessness, that sacrifice in our attitudes and in our actions. That in a church body like this, it, it ought to be something that people can see reflected back and forth that there's a love that we have for one another it's our opportunity to be a testimony but also a help to others and so lord may this be something that defines uh, us that we do truly love one another and that we reflect it all the time back and forth and that we be a church that is known for this one another type of relationship amongst the body we love you thank you for sending your son changing us may we reflect it and this we pray in christ's name amen